Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Isaiah 7, verse 14. As we continue our, fr- our promises, the five promises of Christmas. Earlier we sung the song, Joy to the World. And it's one of the most famous Christmas songs. I think I read <coughs> just this week that it's actually the number one Christmas hymn sung every Christmas. However, as Al Moeller shares with us, is that Joy to the World is not actually a Christmas song. It was not written for the first Advent but it was actually written for the second advent. I noticed that a little bit more as we sung the words is that it's actually talking about Christ's return when Christ comes to rule over the world. And so when we look at that, we have to remember is that it's not necessarily a Christmas carol, though that's we do. We do sing it then, but it's actually about Christ's second coming to rule over all things, the new heaven, the new earth, the millennium. And so that's a great time for us uh, as we're looking at this place between Christmas and New Year's and the resolutions and all the things going on is for us to take a moment to think about Christ's second coming, the second advent of Christ. The first week we looked at the looking at the five promises. The first week we looked at the promise of a savior to rescue us from our sin. Then we saw the promise of a prophet who would come to proclaim God's word to give us the truth because it was needed. The third was the promise of a priest who would come to reconcile us back to God. And last week was the promise of a king, one who would come to rule in justice, peace, and righteousness, who would usher that time in. As you may recall, the purpose of these promises is to make right what went wrong, to restore that which was broken, to bring us back into fellowship with God. And we needed to be rescued from our sins. We needed to hear God's word. We need to be reconciled with a sacrifice and we need to accept and submit and subdue, be subdued to the king of kings in order for us to be right with God, to right that which was wrong. Now this week we'll consider God's promise, the fifth promise, which is to reunite us with him, to reunite us with him, a reunion in restored fellowship and in complete relationship. Paul writes in Ephesians that in love, God has predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And it's through Christ that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Yet, as you and I know, our salvation still awaits its final completeness, its final deliverance. In Jesus' first coming, he delivered us from the penalty of sin. He delivered us from the power of sin. But the last enemy to be delivered is not only death, but from the presence of of sin, And that's where we are. And that's where that prayer, that song is coming from. I, I want to just be done with all this evil within me. Lord, take it away. But what he cries out is it doesn't even look like God takes it away. It looks like he, he makes it even worse. And, and, and like, like a fire pushes down on me. He says the answer, the prayer that I answer is that of grace and faith. A grace to accept God's will for our life 
and faith, more faith in Christ. But one day we will be delivered from the presence of sin. And that's where you and I await this morning. Now that day did not come with the first advent, with Christ's first coming. But it will be accomplished at the second. Amen. With that, we see that in Isaiah 7.14. Let's read this promise. I believe it's here on the monitor as well. We're in the prophecy. Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, we just want to hold on to that promise. Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we look forward to that day that we are finally restored. But yet as we await this day, you have given us something to do. You have, you have given us instructions how we are to wait with eagerness and anticipation for that day. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. Lord, let us be strengthened this morning. Give us a, a greater measure of your grace. Father, as we work our way in pursuing holiness, knowing that we fail, but knowing, Lord, that you, your grace is larger than any of our failings. But we also ask for a greater, greater measure of faith that we may trust you more. Father, strengthen us, encourage us this morning. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Emmanuel, when we see Emmanuel, that means God with us. God the Father fulfilled these five promises of Scripture when he sent Jesus to deliver us from the curse. However, as we read in Acts that 40 days after the resurrection, Christ ascended back into heaven. So the question I have to ask was, how is then God with us? How is that promise fulfilled? How is God with us if he's not here on this earth? Now, Christ's ascension, ascension into heaven does not mean that God has abandoned us. We understand that. We know that this Holy Spirit is still here. And God even says where two or three are gathered, he says that his spirit is here with us. Scripture speaks volumes of how we are now united with Christ, how we're adopted by the Father and made children of His. And now we're able to approach the throne room of God with confidence. Yet, there will be a day when finally we will be face to face, physically, with our Maker and with our Savior. In our Scripture reading earlier in Revelation 21, when Landon was reading, we read some of the promises. Did you catch these promises that he read? Behold, the dwelling, of, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He goes on to give some other promises. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and they shall be no more death and there shall be no more mourning and crying. And many times we emphasize these things as the gifts of God and the things that we're looking forward. And, and I would agree, we're all looking for that day when not only is the presence of sin gone, but the aches and the pains and all the other things of life are gone. But the most important gift here is that God will dwell with us. Too many times we're guilty of presenting heaven and salvation as all the wonderful benefits of whatever you want of life. And we de-emphasize the fact that God is there. So here's the question. If heaven would be everything that you want, everything that you've ever dreamed of, it would be all the, the uh, paradise that you can imagine, and God was not there, would you still want it? 
See, what do you want more? Do you want God or the benefits? It's the same way with your spouse. Do you want just the benefits your spouse gives you or do you want your spouse? That's why when we do the, do the, the, uh, the, um, the vows, it's in sickness and health. Because why? Because do you take this man? Do you take this woman? Not the benefits they may give you. Hence why you see relationships begin to sour is because then those don't happen. But here we see that God will be with us. And what I want to impress on your mind and your heart this morning is that desire, that promise that God will be with us. He goes on to say to write down these words, for they are trustworthy and true. He says, to the one who is thirsty, I will give him drink. And those are, again, all wonderful things. But again, he goes to the one who conquers. They will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. You see, the greatest gift of salvation is that of a relationship with God. What was restored and bro- or what was broken at the garden will be restored. Once again, walking within the garden as Adam and Eve once did. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and we're going to stay a little bit here in 1 Peter chapter 1. I know we went through this several years ago, but we're going to look at it again for it points to the reunion and how you and I should live during this second advent. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, we're going to look as we think of the first advent, as you and I are thinking of Christmas, the incarnation of Christ. It was a time of looking back, remembering the faithful people who were waiting for the salvation that God had promised. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, look, it says, concerning this salvation, speaking that of Christ, to the Old Testament, they who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, speaking of the prophets of the Old Testament, they says, says that they searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ that was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. In other words, what he's saying is that when the prophets wrote is they spent their time carefully and inquiring who would be that person? Who would be the Messiah? And when would he come? Hence, we, we've used the, the phrase, O come, O come, Emmanuel. They were looking forward to Christ. Now, you and I, as we celebrate Christmas, that's a, that's a backward event. You know, that's history for us. So we look back to that event, and we're celebrating that which already has happened. And we live in those benefits and those gifts today. But for them, they were looking at that. They were living in shadows, looking forward. They couldn't see completely as you and I did. But we see that they searched and inquired carefully of who Jesus would be and when he would come. In Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we read the testimony of Simeon who faithfully anticipated this Emmanuel. In Luke, the, the good doctor writes and records of a man named Simeon. And it says that this man was a righteous man and he was devout And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus. So not that he was a prophet, but he was a man who was devout and righteous. And he was given by the Holy Spirit is you will finally see the coming 
of the consolation of Israel. And that day had arrived for Simeon when Joseph and Mary brought uh, Jesus to the temple to be circumcised eight days after his birth. For we go on in Luke chapter 2, verse 27, and that when Jesus came in, the, uh, came in, uh, the Spirit came into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus in to do for him according to the custom of law, that he took him up in his arms, speaking of Simeon, and that he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. For one who had inquired and carefully, diligently looking for the Savior, he rejoices that he was able to witness that event. Now, when Luke writes that Simeon was waiting for the consolation, it refers to the encouragement and comfort that the Messiah would bring at his appearing. Simeon lived to see the first advent, Christmas, that we call. The promises of God were fulfilled. The promise that salvation would come not only to Israel, but also to Gentiles as God comes to dwell with man in the place, in the, in the vision of Christ, in the incarnation of Christ. Now, Simeon, along with the prophets of the Old Testament, awaited the fulfillment of God's promises with anticipation and eagerness. They were confident that God would be faithful. And despite the circumstances they faced, exile and and enslavement, and all the consequences of the cost of their belief that it exacted, imprisonment, persecution, and even death, The the scriptures describe these men and women as righteous, devout, and waiting for the appearing of the Messiah and the dwelling of God with man. That is what they looked forward to. In 1 John, the apostle tells us that at Christ's first advent, that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 informs us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and is the exact imprint of his nature. And that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So as you and I look back, we recognize that today Jesus is now in heaven at the right hand of God. Yes, we know that he sent the Holy Spirit to guide and to teach, to empower and to protect us. Still, how really is that God with us? Jesus informed his disciples, though, not to worry. That if he had to go, he would send someone. But not only that, he promises that he'll come back. He promises that after completing his mission on earth, he would have to leave. But if you look at the monitor in John chapter 14, we're going to see another promise that Jesus gives of God with us. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He knows what they're going to face. He knows many of them, most of them, all but John that we know of died a martyr's death. John himself was persecuted. Many others killed along the way. He goes on to say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. For not so, I would have told you. 
that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, look at this, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You see, there is a promise of a reunion. The first advent was not the end. So what we have here is a promise of a return, a reunion with Christ. There is one promise that you and I are still to be looking forward to. Now, coupled with the promise of revelation that we read earlier, we come to learn that Emmanuel will be finally totally realized. God with us. We will be with him and he will be with us. But until that day, and this is where I want to park on as we continue. Until that day, you and I are to be like Simeon and Anna and the rest of the Old Testament prophets who waited with patience the appearing of Christ. So what I want to talk about this morning is how do you sit here this morning? Are you looking forward to the second advent of Christ? I think this is a perfect time to reconsider that in our mind. Again, I believe you should be in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 13. During the, the, this observance of the first advent of Christ, speaking of Christmas, it is good for you and I to turn our eyes forward to his second advent, to the second coming of Christ. This is a great season for introspection. In 1 Peter 1, 6, the apostle gives us God's high standard for those who are eagerly awaiting with anticipation. He says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I know we have hit this quite a bit with Leviticus and 1 Peter and 2 Peter, but we have to continue to understand that this is God's holy standard for us. And I want to ask and answer several que- or a question this morning. And the question is simply this. You may see it here on the monitor. What does the second advent mean for the Christians? What does the promise of a reunion mean for the Christian today? I believe it's a great time to ask yourself a question like you see there, number one. Am I clear thinking or sober minded or are my concerns mainly trivial? Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I ask the question, are you clear-thinking and sober-minded? Because I believe there are so many Christians today that are not. Look at the other part. Or are my concerns mainly trivial? What is it that concerns you, that makes you worried? What is it that just dominates your thinking and your doing and your giving and in your serving? Is it the things that will last forever? Is it seeking the affections or putting your affections on things above? Or is the things here on earth where Jesus said, moth and rust? I dare say for many people who profess Christ, we're worried about health insurance. We're worried about retirement. We're worried about this and that. We're worried about what the stock market's going to do or what Trump is going to do or what the government's going to do. And not that those things don't have common sense things that we should make decisions on, but in the wide variety of things of life, they're not as important as the things that Christ has called us to dwell on and to think on. The Apostle Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, the time is coming 
When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We've, we've gone off into triviality. That's what our life is. I think Satan's biggest, biggest weapon is just keeping us busy or having us pursuing happiness and joy, trivial pursuits, so to speak. So let me ask you, what is your mind on? What are your worries and your anxiety? What are the things that dominate your thinking, that keeps you up at night? Scripture tells us that we're to be preparing our minds for action. We're to be continually preparing our minds for action and be sober-minded. That means to be cool thinking. So that's my question for you this morning. The second question is not only are you clear thinking and sober-minded, but are you an obedient child of the Father? Or are you still shaped by the passions that drove you before? Look at verse 14 of 1 Peter. He says, as obedient obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, he tells us many times in scriptures, do not go back to the, as a dog goes to his vomit. We saw that in Peter's study, Peter's words, what we see there in, in Proverbs. We're not to be someone who goes back. We're to remember that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom. In our reading, we see the same thing. We will not inherit the kingdom. But yet, again, those of us who profess Christ, many times we pursue those things that are harmful to us. The things that drive the world are the same passions that drive us. And I think it's time for we as a church, we, we have to stand above that or we ourselves fall into it. So many churches today are no longer standing for the things of God. They're no longer pursuing the things of holiness. The Apostle Paul had warned the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5 to stay focused He says, so whether we are at home here on this earth or away in our heavenly home, he says, we make it our aim to please him. Who do you seek to please? Who's the one that you're wanting to make happy? Whose agenda, whose mission are you living? He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. What you and I have forgotten is that one day we will stand before our Father and have to give an account for what we've done for every stray moment, for every thought, every word. You and I need to recognize, are we obedient children of our Father? Do we recognize that we have a Father? You know, we used to use the phrase, you know, when we went to the store, or went somewhere with our kids. Now, remember whose child you are. Again, you've heard me say this before. Well, am I trying to remind them? Remember how we've taught you. Don't behave this way. If someone were to describe your life and your character, would it be described as one who looks like the father? Who acts as the father? Who thinks as the father thinks? Yes, we know we still have the presence of sin. And so, yes, we still struggle with that. But yet, are you pursuing, working at being an obedient child? 
Or are you shaped by the passions that drove you before? You know, Israel saw the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. They list all these other things that, you know, you don't do. But again, we have to ask the question, is your aim to please him or to please yourself? Then let me take you to the third one, the third question. Is your hopes fully set on the grace that you'll receive from Jesus at the second coming? Or do you cringe at the thought of leaving behind this life you love? And I have to tell you, this is one that sometimes I struggle with. Look at verses 17 and 19 of 1 Peter. And if you call on him as a father, speaking as a professing Christian, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So we're to know that we're to live our lives as one who's going to give account. But look at what he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your father, forefathers, not with imperishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So in other words, the question is, are, are you, is your hope fully set on the fact that God will say, well done, my, my good and faithful servant? Or do you cringe at leaving these things behind? This is a tough one, especially as you, as you get married and have children, have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Let me ask, what on this earth, if Christ were come today, what would you still be clinging to? that you would not want to let go. For many of us, it's our social media. Maybe it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't we shouldn't have. I'd have to say this. Parent, if you truly love your children, and I say most of you would say this, would you be willing and glad if God were to call your child to the mission field and to give his life for the Lord? Would you want that for your children? Now, if you're like me, you would say, no, no, no. That cannot be God's will. Why? Because we continue to hold on to that. And we desire them to fulfill our passions and our wishes for them. But your prayer needs to begin today. Lord, how can I give up my child? How can I give up my money? Lord, how can I give up my dreams to aspire what you want me to aspire to? What are you holding on to this life? For some of us, it's not Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But Lord, can you wait a little bit longer? I remember that. Lord, don't come until I get a girlfriend. Lord, don't come until I get married. Lord, don't come until after the honeymoon. Lord, don't come until I have kids, until I have grandchildren. And it just continues. For now, I want to see my grandchild go to kindergarten and then graduate from high school and so on and so forth. I want to see the men that they're going to be. See, it's a never-ending cycle. But you and I hold dear to them. And let me just say to parents, because I've seen this happen, is we make our children idols. We are guilty of idolatry because our families have become our idols. Our children have become our idols. And I want to say this is just not not a matter of making anyone proud, but I know we have had families here, parents, who have made the decision that their children will not be playing sports on Sundays. Why? Because church is important. They have not made their children the end all. 
But yet many times we're guilty of that or we're tempted to do that. And I understand the temptation and the struggles that young parents will have as you go through. But he says, do you cringe at leaving behind the life you love here? You love this life so much that you're saying, ah, don't come today, that's okay. That's all right. Tarry a little bit longer, Jesus. Once again, we look at the Apostle Paul who encourages Titus in his ministry with these words. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Telling us this is how you and I should live our lives in the meantime. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We need to renounce. He goes on to say that we're to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We're to live. We're to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. We must remember that we must wait for him as God waits for us, waiting to grab his precious treasure. He can't wait to grab us and bring him to himself. This hope, this confident expectation, the return of Christ, is to compel us to action. We're to wait eagerly with anticipation, but yet also patiently looking for the second coming, confident that he will appear, inquiring carefully when he may. Now, this compulsion to, compulsion to action, to live, to renounce ungodliness, to, to, uh, to train and to live ourselves in self-controlled life is only made possible through the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit that Christ sent in his, after his ascension. And what we see is that the Holy Spirit doesn't work through some magical incantations or some type of of ritual, but he works through his Holy Spirit. Someone said, oh, I'd love to get a fresh new word from God today. Well, then open it, buy a brand new Bible and open it up and you'll get God's word. It's very true. We should not expect God to work to, to speak through a burning bush. He's spoken through the pages of scripture preserved for us. And so this would be a good time as, as we're looking at, at introspection this morning. If you haven't yet read through scripture, uh, make that a resolution. Get a good copy of God's Bible. If you need one, ask Dustin. He'll make sure you have one. Begin reading through Genesis and work your way. We have many daily plans that he'd be more than happy to send, through, send to you. Try to read through scripture. Or maybe it's just the Old Testament or maybe just the New Testament if you struggle with reading but grab on to God's word and understand is that is how we live today. That's what whets our appetites, encourages and strengthens us. This is not a work that we can accomplish our own, but God works through his spirit as we read scripture and he makes it come alive and he changes our hearts and our desires. And we spoke about that last week. See, you and I do not need behavior modification, which is what we're trying to do. That's what the song was actually speaking of. He says, and he breaks all the schemes of man. That's the man who says, well, I'm trying to do all this to break a habit. Because what God wants you to do is rely on him. Now, yes, he has given great tools, accountability partners and so on and so forth. 
but yet he works through his word to change hearts and desires. Then and only till then will your behavior be one that changes. Remember, God has charged the adults in Deuteronomy 11 to lay up these words, what words the law, in your hearts and your soul. For he expects us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. So I encourage you to get, a word of, get the word of God. Begin reading into it. Begin praying through it. You see, the living water in our own hearts as it works through us, is the fountain in which we'll shower Christ on those around us. Our time with God and his preparation of us is a necessary foundation for us to wait with eager anticipation for his second coming, for us to renounce ungodliness, to to live self-controlled lives, to wait for Christ's coming. For Christmas, for many people, it's all about the hoopla. It's about making significant memories, significant moments, honoring traditions, making new ones. And we all do that. And there's, and there's important things to do for that for families and for others. But let Christmas not just come into a moment of family time and secular pursuits and gift giving. If it's not a time to remind us that God was faithful in the promises of a savior, of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king. But he's also made a promise of reunion. And as much as we yearn and thankful for the first one, you and I ought to be looking for, praying for, anticipating, preparing for the second coming of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? And I want to encourage you because that's our encouragement. That's our strength. What gets you up in the morning? That this may be the day that Christ comes again. Let my heart be prepared. Let me share the gospel again. I've made it a a point this year is I I have some tracks. They're not out at the moment. We'll make sure they're back out uh, starting next Sunday. But I grab enough tracks. And my thing is, is every time I go through a drive-thru, which I'm sad to say is probably more than should be, is I'm going to give at least one track and say, hey, can I just give you something to read and maybe share with someone else? And then I started thinking, well, you know what? I, you know, there's so many different ones. I don't know which one they want. So I just put them in order. I prayed, say, Lord, just providential, let each one be for that person. But then not only do I just drive away and just make sure my order is right and correct and then get mad when it's not, but I then pray for that person. If I can see their name, I pray for it. If not, I just pray, Lord, let that track do its work. Now, that's a simple thing. But I know my goal, my desire this year is to be more forthcoming and saying, Lord, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad it may be my last, whether through sickness or health or the fact that Christ comes again. Last night, I was out and taking the dogs out and one of the things I love to do, this was ever since years ago, I like to find Orion in the sky. And I have a conversation with Orion. I, I say, Lord, I know you're not real, but I just love Orion. I don't know what it is. I just love to see the stars. But I remember praying, and I, you know what? I don't know where that story was going. But I remember praying something, Lord, I just, I, I know, Lord, I want you to come. I don't really want to die. You know? 
I mean, I want to go to heaven, but man, I'm, to be honest, I'm pretty scared about how I'm going to get there. You know, I don't want it to be painful. So I'd rather the Lord just come. It needs to be quick because I'm a little afraid of heights, so I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work either. I don't want some slow type thing. I don't think I'll look as good as Superman as he's kind of flying up there with a cape or anything. But you know what? That should be our attitude. That should be our mind. But I have to tell you, there is a part of me that doesn't because I do have loved ones and friends that do not know Christ. That if Christ were to come, then I know that they're, they're done. And so there is a part of us that, yes, should hold us back. But God promised that there's going to be a reunion. And we should be anticipating that as we do the 24 days of Christmas or whatever it is. May this be a time of reflection. Here's our motivation. Here's our strength. It's found in 1 John 2.28. It says that when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Do not be the disobedient child that when you hear the phrase, your father is home, begins to shrink and to find a place to hide and avoid him but be the first one to say, welcome home. I'm ready. Would you be ready if you were to come today? Let me end with this. We need to understand this. There's a difference between the two advents. And this is why you and I should be preparing. Because you and I do have those who are not looking forward, who are not aware that Christ will come again. Number one. Christ will return, but not mild and meek as he did before, but in power and in majesty. Revelations 19 says that his eyes will be like a flame of fire. He comes in righteousness, he judges, and he makes war. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in robe, dipped in blood, and the name he is called is the word of God. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following with him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. I pray that no one that I know, no one that I love and no one in my sphere of influence will face that day unprepared. At least the testimony will be that he told me and I didn't listen. But at least he told me. Because I do know that there will be people, there will be those that when God says come into heaven, that there'll be others that I know, that I've worked with, who will scream, what? I didn't know he was a Christian. Not once did he share with me about Christ. No, he, he joined me in what I'm being judged for. How is this fair? To be honest, I'll have no excuse. Let those be few. Let those be few. Number two, Christ will not come to seek to save the lost as he did the first time, but to judge. Revelations 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him and seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled and no place was found from them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the low throne, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. The sea gave up their dead that were in it. Death and Haiti gave up the dead within them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, lake of fire. There'll be no more opportunities for them to confess, to repent. Their future's stoned. There is no excuse. Thirdly, one for encouragement is that Christ will return to rescue his children. That should be an encouragement for us. The warning is for our loved ones and those that do not Christ, do not know Christ. But we also ought to understand Hebrews 9. It says, At the point under man once died, then after this the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sons of many, he will appear a second time. Again, another promise. Not to deal with sin. Sin is already dealt with. But to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Would that describe you this morning? Are you eagerly waiting for the appearance of Christ? If Jesus were to return today, what would be your fate? Rejection or acceptance? Judgment or reward? Let me share with you, if you do not know Christ, would you come to him this morning? The Bible says there's salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Would you come to the cross this morning? If you're here and you have made a profession of faith, would you be an obedient child? Would you commit this morning to living your life, to renouncing ungodliness, to live self-control, to pursue the things of Christ? Would you do so this morning? We have a father who is willing with a fathomless supply of grace and faith to those that come. Would you come this morning to it? Embrace it? And would you commit to pursuing holiness until that day he arrives? May you say with the rest of Scripture, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. With their head bowed and their head closed, ask the worship team to come on up. Let us encourage one another with the words that Christ is coming. One promise still left to be fulfilled. Let us rejoice at that. Let us prepare ourselves for that. Would you take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and to respond how God would be calling you to this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness, your love for us. Lord, help us to realize as much as we look forward and anticipate Christmas each and every year, it's a time of family, it's a time of reunion, of getting together with loved ones. Let us also look with eager anticipation the final reunion, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're re- re- reunited with you, Emmanuel, God with us forever and ever. Father, may we look forward to that. May we prepare ourselves for that. I pray that you would expose the ways in which we still hang on to this life, the ways in which we still cling on to it. 
Help us to see the ways in which we prepare ourselves for the things you've called us to do. And Father, may we bring others with us. Let us not reach heaven alone, but with those that we've invited who've come to know you as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.